Before I start this week's edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just a quick note of thanks, as ever, to the photographer who took the photograph, which adorns the cover art of the podcast, and that's Sora Shimazaki at Pexels. Let's crack on with it. Hello and welcome to the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Kirkbride. It's been a relatively quiet week this week. It was a little bit on sanctions and fraud, as well as a curious money laundering story. We'll also round up this week's cyber attack news. So let's get cracking. As ever, the links to the principal documents mentioned in the podcast can be found in the podcast description. We'll start this week with sanctions. In the week which saw the first anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine come and go, sanctions seem to have taken a bit of a back seat next to the global response to the conflict. There have been certain notorious actions, including in the UK, where Led by Donkeys, which is the protest group, dropped washable paint in the colours of the Ukrainian flag outside the Russian embassy. That aside, there is a bit of sanctions news relating to the conflict where the European Union has seized success from the jaws of failure by agreeing its 10th package of sanctions. Earlier in the week, Poland had voiced concerns that imports of synthetic rubber were insufficiently strong, but these objections were negotiated away as close to midnight on Friday, the 10th package was agreed. I'll stick with the EU for the next story and the announcement that a sixth round of sanctions has been agreed in relation to nine individuals and seven entities in Myanmar slash Burma. These sanctions are against those who have supported and continue to support those behind the military coup which took office, seized office in February 2021. The link to the announcement is in the podcast description. This week, The United Kingdom also announced the addition of 92 individuals and entities to the Russian designated persons list who will now be subject to an asset freeze. The the updated list is in the podcast description along with the notice identifying the 92 new additions and one amendment. Oh, and this is a quick one before checking out of the UK, and it's a reminder about the introduction to the work of the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation. It's holding a seminar, I mentioned it last week. It's this week, it's this coming, I think, Tuesday, the 28th of February at 10am, that's Greenwich Mean Time. Link to the sign-up is, once again, as it was last week, posted in the podcast description. And finally, on sanctions this week... The U.S. Deputy Secretary of the Treasury, Wally Adeyemo, has had remarks he made on the international sanctions against Russia published by the U.S. Department of the Treasury. You can read the comments, which, frankly, it's a mix of the usual stuff one would expect to see in the podcast description. The U.S. has also, like the European Union, imposed additional sanctions on the first anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine. There is a link to the White House fact sheet in the podcast description. Now, that is it for sanctions this week, and we now move to fraud, uh, where we start with news of research from the University of Toronto, which indicates that the scale of corporate fraud may be greater than original estimates. This conclusion is based on data drawn from, quotes, financial misrepresentations exposed by auditors 
enforcement releases by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, financial restatements and full legal prosecutions by the SEC against insider trading, all between 1997 and 2005, when enhanced security of firms audited by the collapsed auditing firm Arthur Anderson, remember them, shone a light on previously unidentified failings. The article, which is open access, is in the podcast description. A detailed presentation of the findings will uh, took place this week on Thursday. I didn't go, but I understand those who did had a wonderful time. It was an in-person event, unfortunately. But as I said, you can have a look at the, or a look at the findings in the article, which, as I said, is open source and is linked in the podcast description. Now, sticking with the US and the Department of Justice has released its fraud section year in review for 2022. Link to the full report is in the podcast description. Now to the United Kingdom, linking back to a story which we covered in an earlier edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. This week, the National Crime Agency and the Crown Prosecution Service have announced the sentences which have been handed down in the case of three fund managers involved in a fraudulent scheme which caused losses of eight and a half million US dollars to the Libyan Sovereign Wealth Fund. I cover the detail of the conviction in episode 37 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast and the sentences which have been handed down this week total 12 years for those involved. Frederick Marino was sentenced to seven years and six months, Yoshika Omura to three years and six months, while Aurelian Bessot, or Bessot was given a 15-month suspended sentence. Links both to the National Crime Agency and Crown Prosecution Service press releases can be found in the podcast description. And finally, on fraud this week, this is a story which warmed my heart when I read it, but the Financial Conduct Authority has announced that more people who are investing their money are doing a bit to investigate the possibility that the investment proposed might be somewhat of a scam. This is a theme that I'd like to come back to, because I maintain the best way to stop being a vi- to stop scams really is to stop becoming a victim of a scam, and the best way to do that is to educate. The research headline data reveals investors are turning detective against scammers using research skills and gut instinct. If something is a bit dodgy, it probably is. The Financial Conduct Authority data reveals £2 million was saved in 2022 by investors who spotted the warning signs and reported them to the Financial Conduct Authority, with calls to the Financial Conduct Authority increasing 193% in the last five years. What it refers to as armchair detective investors said finding mistakes in material, 34%, and requests for personal details to secure an opportunity, again, 34%, are the most common telltale signs that it might be a scam. The FCA's latest ScamSpot campaign aims to spotlight the skills used by those who've stopped scammers in their tracks to protect other investors. As I've said before, educate yourselves, people. It's the only way. The link to the press release 
is in the podcast description. Now to money laundering. The Financial Action Task Force has been busy this week with many outcomes from its plenary, which was held from the 22nd to the 24th of February in Singapore. First, in news trailed for over a year, and again I mentioned it last week because of calls made by Ukraine, the FATF has finally suspended the Russian Federation from membership of the global anti-money laundering family. You can read the full statement, which I provide in the podcast description. Secondly, South Africa and Nigeria have been added to jurisdictions under increased monitoring, while Morocco and Cambodia have been removed. You can read the full outline of everything that has arisen from the Singapore plenary in the podcast description where I have linked it One final money laundering story this week, which is frankly mildly comical and raises a question mark over the rigour of anti-money laundering checks. The story, reported by the Financial Times in the UK, is that Yevgeny Prigozhin, who is head of the Wagner mercenary group, which is alleged to have committed a number of war crimes in Ukraine, passed money laundering checks by using his elderly mother's gas bill as identity documents requested by a London-based law firm. Now, the mother was living in the individual's Prigozhin's apartment or address in St. Petersburg, and I believe she still lives there, but she was paying the bills. That was enough, apparently. At the time of the incident, Prigozhin had already been under sanctions. This was something which predates the invasion of Ukraine. So he'd already been under sanctions because of actions committed by his mercenaries connected to various human rights abuses wherever they tended to operate. These are separate, remember, from the war in Ukraine. His mother has since also been sanctioned since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now to a bit of regulatory enforcement news, although it's not really enforcement, it's more about collaboration. News that Austrac, the Australian Transaction Reports and Analysis Centre, has signed a Memorandum of Understanding with the Financial Conduct Authority in the United Kingdom in order to, quote, enhance engagement on regulatory issues, including exchanging regulatory information and improving shared understanding of emerging trends, risks and the compliance of businesses that operate in both the UK and Australia. This is in addition to a further Memorandum of Understanding which has been entered into between Ostrak and His Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Links to the relevant information can, of course, be found in the podcast description. Now we end this week, as we seem to end virtually every week nowadays, with a roundup of cyber news which has been running across the wires. Start this week with GoDaddy, which is the web hosting and website design company, which has reported a cyber event this week. The event is believed to have been identified in December 2022, though may have been within its systems for some time before it was identified. Burton Snowboards reported a cyber event on its systems on Valentine's Day, which impacted its e-commerce. The systems remained offline this week. 
Coinbase, the crypto exchange, has disclosed that an employee was subject to a smishing attack. I don't know whether it was smears, uh, spear smishing or just a general smishing attack earlier this month, which caused the loss of a limited amount of data. On Tuesday this week, Russian state television experienced an outage during the State of the Nation address by President Putin. It's understood it was the result of a cyber attack. Virgin Media TV has been the subject of a cyber attack this week, which it believes may have been reduced in its significance because of prevention systems which have been uh, which had been put in place by the company. Dole, the U.S. food company, temporarily shut down production at its North American plants this week after a cyber attack. Indigo, which we've reported previously was the subject of a cyber attack a couple of weeks ago, has acknowledged that the attack was ransomware with employee data being compromised. Over to Australia now, where the electronics retailer, the good guys, had some of the data of its customers stolen in a cyber attack on a third party supplier. Now, News that the World Economic Forum has highlighted the exploitation of the humanitarian disaster following the earthquake in eastern Turkey and western Syria. I've put a link to that story from the World Economic Forum website in the podcast description. And here's an interesting report from the Wall Street Journal this week, which indicates that some ransomware groups have laid off hackers after finding that some cybersecurity systems are too effective in preventing ransomware attacks. Interesting. In the UK, the National Cyber Security Centre has published its latest cyber threat report. You can find the link to that in the podcast description. Now, what do you think of the next story? I reported in an early edition, in fact it was earlier this year, at the turn of the new year, some interesting news about cyber insurance you might remember that I reported there was a threat that cyber insurance could be withdrawn because of the scale of the attacks, not making it an insurable risk. Well, this may have been premature. Talks of its downfall may have been premature. There are reports this week that it may, that is cyber insurance, may have come back from the brink, that price rises in premiums are moderating as the market responds to current conditions and defences become ever stronger. And finally, on cyber this week, the Royal Mail in the United Kingdom has restarted international letter and parcel deliveries via the post office six weeks after the ransomware cyber attack which impacted its systems. That's it for this episode of the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast. If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again, all being well, next Sunday with the usual roundup of all things financial crime. Have a great week, everyone.